This message first aired on the radio on January 1st, 2004. Well, we'll look at Romans 11. Remember that we're heading now in this section of Romans 9, 10, 11. We're heading to the main point concerning Israel, which main point is, by the way, verse 25. It's one of the, I would not have you ignorant brethren's in the Scripture. There are six of these. By some count, you could say seven, but actually one is not about ignorance, but to keep mindful that a day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. But in six other places in the Scripture, one which was Romans chapter 1, where we're not to be ignorant that Paul wanted to get to Rome. He was urgent about getting to Rome. This now, in Romans chapter 11, where we're heading, is verse 25. I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery or secret, lest you should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So Israel's partial, temporary blindness, which is what this means, that blindness in part, that is, the partial blindness of Israel, Israel is partly blind in that they of Israel, who are the remnant, and we're going to study that today, are not blind. So there's a partial blindness, and it's a temporary blindness. That's why we have the words here, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. This truth is a secret. It's here called a mystery. This is one of the secrets that was given to the Apostle Paul. Insofar as it is a mystery, it is distinguishable from the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is not hid and never has been hidden. But the partial and temporary blindness of Israel is hidden in the Old Testament. It wasn't revealed to men then, but now as the prophetic writings go to the apostles and them that heard the Lord Jesus Christ, including the Apostle Paul, who heard from him personally, met him personally on the Damascus Road, albeit the Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrection and ascension, but this now being revealed here, never having been revealed before. And so it classifies as a secret or as a mystery. And of course, what good is a secret if it's not told to somebody? Well, this is a secret told to us. Well, let's look now at Hebrews 11, verse 1, and we'll see that that's where we're headed. Now you know where we're going, and let's try to follow the apostles' thinking as he gets there. Remember that Romans 11 follows on Romans 10, and he appealed to the prophetic writings of Moses, which said, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation will I anger you. You realize that that is out of the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32 that is quoted here in Romans chapter 10. And then Isaiah said, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that ask not after me. And so that is not of him that wills or of him that runs, but of God who has mercy. And we learned that of course, in the ninth chapter, and a proper, honest evaluation of what happens in the life of someone who comes to Jesus Christ and comes to saving faith in him, an honest evaluation is that he found me, I did not find him. Or as one has put it, and I like the way it's put very well, I found him finding me. Well, now we come to the point about Israel. Of course, all that is said about us, and we like to dwell on the things that are said about us. But now we come to the point that is about Israel, verse 21. But to Israel, he says, all day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient 
and gainsaying people. And so here we have those gainsayers. We have those who speak against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in fact, except the remnant, that is what Israel is. It's a gainsaying people. Israel is a gainsaying nation. It is not one nation under God. It is not the one who received the Messiah, though the Messiah was sent to them. They're the ones who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, rejected others sent to them, the apostles, the deacon Stephen, he was the first martyr. James, the brother of John, was slain with the sword. And of course, finally, consummately, there were so many who were martyred, not all by Jews, but certainly the nation of Israel. They did not obey the gospel. They did not obey God's command to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're gainsayers. In fact, it's one thing to not believe, but it's a whole other thing to engage in disputation and argumentation. And that is what the vast bulk of the nation Israel does, not only back then, but Israel today, except the remnant that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, is busy nationally and in its dispersion. The people of Israel are very busy disputing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will find the source of antagonism against the gospel will be more than proportionally represented by the nation of Israel, the gainsaying people that are not the remnant according to grace. Well, now I'm referring to many things that are really better established by looking at the 11th chapter, so we'll read on. Romans 11, 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? One may think, here are these people that rejected the Savior. They're gainsaying people. God has taken the word of God to the Gentiles. Out of the Gentiles, he's forming a people for his name, and also out of Israel, by the way. Has God cast away his people? And we have, again, that kind of phraseology that's so well used here in the book of Romans. A question is asked, and we are told, God forbid, that is to perish the thought, that's a foolish question. So the whole idea that God has cast away Israel is actually said in the Scripture here, Romans 11, 1, to be a foolish question, or perish the thought. And that's what that means when it says, God forbid. That means that out of your natural mind is arising stupidity. Don't be offended by that. Out of your natural mind rises stupidity all the time. That's what our problem is, our stupid thoughts that occasionally we believe and follow. How can this be a stupid thought that God has cast away his people? The apostle starts right where he ought to. For I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I'm an Israelite. How could God possibly have cast away all of his people when the Apostle Paul, for example, is an Israelite? God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. And let me say he talks about his people, which he foreknew, because we have to remember that when God selects the nation of Israel, in Exodus chapter 4, he selected the nation of Israel according to his own foreknowledge, their elect, from the foundation of the world. Israel is elect from the foundation of the world. The church, which is his body, is elect before the foundation of the world. And don't you forget that distinction. But he foreknew them, and so they were elect before anything even happened, before Adam sinned, for example. Nevertheless, uh, God made that election known, for example, to the Egyptians when he said, Israel is my firstborn nation. And God didn't cast away his people according to their behavior. He elected them in grace. 
and he sustains them while they're in disobedience in grace. Now, the apostle went through great lengths to establish that principle, grace through faith, in the ninth chapter concerning Israel, and that principle is in place. God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he makes intercession to God against Israel, saying, and now here's the life of Elijah, where Elijah complains against Israel to God, saying, they have killed thy prophets. This is now Romans 11.3, hearkening back to the ministry and life of Elijah, which wherein he was in 1 Kings the 19th chapter, wherein he was being sought after by Jezebel and Ahab. And he says, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, they've digged down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek to kill me. I'm all by myself, and they seek to kill me. And what was the answer of God unto him? Verse 4. Romans 11.4, what's the answer? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. So he says, I yet have 7,000 men. So here's what the apostles teaching us. When Elijah thought that all of Israel had rejected God and that he was the only one left and that he was going to be killed, God said, don't worry, I still have a remnant. I still have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. I still have some that you don't know about, that I know about, that I will raise up. And, of course, that's the faithful Israel that he raised up and the warrior Israel that he raised up. So there was a remnant then. There was a remnant then, even though the prophet of God knew nothing of it, even though it was a remnant not yet revealed, even though it was a remnant, we might say, yet hidden, but an elect remnant future to Elijah, it was there. And that's the teaching of the next verse. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And so now here the apostle writes to us and says, here is an analog. Just as there was a remnant according to grace that Elijah didn't know about, even so at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace or grace's election. That is, God has still graced Israel. God has still graced Israel, and in such a way that there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. And so he's now laid out the principle and the point, and it's an important one, friends. And the important one is the remnant according to grace that God has, that is the nation of Israel, is during this present time. And by the way, it's not on a different principle. Israel is no, on no different principle than anybody else. It is the principle of grace through faith. So we're going to talk about that remnant a little bit, and we're going to see who it really is and what happens to them when they believe. And in the course of doing that, we're going to discuss about some nasty stuff that's going on today, some false teaching. And, of course, anytime we have false teaching, we look back in the Scripture and we see it's the same old false teaching that we see here and there. Well, in summary, I'm going to tell you what we find out about the nation of Israel and the remnant of the nation of Israel, which is present today. 
right? Even at this present time, Romans 11.5, there also is a remnant according to the election of grace. Now, how do we know who the remnant according to the election of grace is? Stick with us, and will you listen to this announcement? We have something going on today that calls itself the Hebrew Roots Movement. Now, I'm always skeptical of anything that calls itself a movement. I remember one old preacher that taught me some things. And, you know, I refer to old preachers that taught me. Maybe you think I hung around just one old guy all the time. Maybe you thought I hung around with nothing but old guys. But actually, I'm limited to about three old men, or four, we could say, who did teach me some very important lessons about the ministry of the Word of God. And they were all preachers. I I refer to men who, except in the case of one old man, were all preachers. It was a great blessing to me to have old men preachers that, by the way, that very few young men appreciated or even spoke to. But I got a great wealth of guidance from just a few principles that they gave me in the ministry. And this one older preacher, and I'll name him. His name was Dan Smith. He was a great preacher and spent time in the China Inland Mission and worked with Watchman Nee of China. In fact, he's translated a good number of his books, and Dan was a very a very good friend of my family's, a very dear grandpa to me. Uh, Dan Smith, one point in his ministry, was invited by a leader of a spinoff of Watchman Nee's works. I'll even name that fellow. His name was Witness Lee. I think perhaps Witness Lee's still around. I don't know. But he started up a sect. He started up a schism. And there is a sect of the Witness Lee would call themselves the local church, as if there are no other local churches. And Dan Smith was invited by Witness Lee, and and, and he told me that here's what he was told. The mainstream of Christianity used to flow out of England, and then it flowed out of the United States, and now today is flowing out of Taiwan. Won't you join us? That's what he said to Dan Smith. And Dan Smith, being a lot wiser than that, and having seen multiple schisms and so forth, New things, started up, movements, whatever, the church. We have the heavenly vision for the local church. He saw enough of those crazy things that he told him, listen here, my friend, the mainstream flows out of the throne of grace from heaven above, and I am in it. Well, that's a wonderful statement to make, and I'll never forget it because I I am not one who will be joining any movements especially this Hebrew Roots movement, which is a dangerous and nasty movement. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's as dangerous as the book of Galatians can teach us it is. There is nothing especially Hebrew about the church, which is his body. We're going to look at the Hebrew Roots a little bit today and a lot tomorrow, and what that means and what it doesn't mean. But let me assure you, There's never a direction of God's growth and God's development of this dispensation and the church which is his body, which grows back to roots. So I just give you a caution about that. If you think you're part of this movement or if you're inclined to be part, get out of it. Get out of it because it ends up just being another schismatic attempt to divide off God's people, the very least to keep God's people from understanding the true nature of this dispensation and this mystery, which is the church, which is his body. Be introduced to us 
beginning from the 12th chapter. Certainly we'll have a few words written in the 16th chapter uh, about the mystery which is of the church, which is his body, and we'll see it more in the book of Ephesians. But I know I've warned so many in vain here, but I give the warning anyway. Back to Romans 11, verse 7. What do we see here? Well, we see that there's a remnant according to grace. Now, the remnant according to grace is just like me. I'm a Gentile according to grace. I've received Christ as my Savior. I was a Gentile. I am no longer a Gentile. A Jew who receives Christ as Savior can be of the remnant, okay, can be a part of the remnant according to grace, but he's no more a Jew. He's now a member of the church, which is his body. God having abolished that enmity and distinction inside the church between Jew and Gentile. And my Jewish friend, I don't want to be a Jew. And let me assure you from my experience, you don't want to be a Gentile. And so we're neither Jew, uh, my Jewish brother, I should say, uh, you are not a Jew anymore. You used to be a Jew. I used to be a Gentile, but we're now Christians. Have we been washed in the blood of the lamb? Let's not raise up those distinctions which hinder us and which keep us from the enjoyment and keep all men from seeing what is the dispensation of the mystery concerning the church, which is the Lord's body, the fullness thereof. Now we have another question to answer posed to us. What then? Israel has not obtained. So in other words, what do we see then? Verse 7, Romans 11, Israel has not obtained which he sought for. Remember, they had this seeking of their own righteousness. They didn't find righteousness. In fact, they found condemnation. But the election, the remnant according to grace, did find what they sought for. That is, justification of themselves before God. And the rest, those who are not part of the remnant, the rest of Israel, Verse 7, the rest were blinded. And now we have the blinding of Israel, or the hardening of Israel. Blinding, hardening, it's the same thing. This is the same word which is about Pharaoh. And so here now you see the friendship that Israel, who doesn't receive Jesus Christ, has. In fact, this corresponds to Romans chapter 3. He's not a Jew who is one outwardly. But he's one who is one inwardly, whose circumcision is of the heart. In fact, those who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, who are of Israel, have no better hope than Pharaoh, and in fact are of the same character as Pharaoh. And what character is that? Well, Pharaoh is a guy who hardened his heart, and God put up with him for a long time. And in the enduring of Pharaoh's hardness of heart, Pharaoh took that to be somehow God's approbation. And there are very many foolish people who think because God has not yet brought the hammer down on them, because he has not yet introduced his wrath to them, that somehow things are okay with God and them. But no, in fact, they are hardening their hearts. And that's what this means is blinding. It means they're hardening. Of course, we have an example of that in life. As you get older... Now, I'm experiencing this, by the way. My orbs, my eyeballs, as I get older, get hardened and less flexible. And as they get more and more hardened, that is, as my lenses lose their flexibility, 
my eyesight begins to go. I mean, I thank God that the way that my eyesight is gone is distance vision is gone. Well, I don't thank God that it's gone, but if I have to lose something, I thank God that it's distance vision gone and not near-up vision because I can see further by looking at my Bible than I ever could with my eyesight in good shape. And so this has to do the rest was hardened or blinded. That's the way blindness happens. It happens little by little by little, oftentimes. You become legally blind when your eyes get so hardened, for example, that you just can't see clearly anymore. That's one way blindness happens. It's not the crisis way that it happens, but it's the long, drawn-out process. By the way, blindness is coming to all of us. Part of walking through the valley of the shadow of death is losing your sight. That's okay. Sight's not faith. You can walk by faith better without sight. That's been proven by great Christians through the ages. Now here we have a parenthetical reference now out of the Scripture about Israel. According as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear until this day. Now that's quoted from Isaiah chapter 29. And he says he's given them a spirit of, okay, it says here slumber, but I don't like the word. It actually says he's given them a spirit like of a stupor or a drunkenness. He gives them the spirit of a drunkenness. That is a senseless, uh, judgmentless spirit. The spirit of a drunken man driven by something on the inside and eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, let him that has ears to hear, let him hear. He didn't just have ears, ears to hear. And David said, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. This now quoted from David's psalm, which, by the way, also had to do with the Lord's death. And this here now has to do with the backside, let's say, of the cross. The front side of the cross to us is our salvation, but the rejection of it, it brings us the wrath of God. And, of course, David prophesied of it in the Scriptures, and the Lord, we believe, prayed this out in the 69th Psalm. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see, and bow down their back always. And so there is a great judgment. This is not merely a device of God, but this is a great judgment on Israel that they have blindness. And except God was gracious, they'd remain that way, and they would be filled up with the wrath of God, but nationally speaking, by the way. But nationally speaking, there's a day coming when all Israel will be saved, and that's what we want to come to as we study through the entire 11th chapter here. Well, we go on now. Verse 11, here's another question, and this is a foolish question, but it's given here because it rises up in our foolish minds. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Well, David wrote, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Now, they've stumbled, and David prayed that they stumbled. Now, they are stumbling, but the question arises, now, have they stumbled so that they should fall down? In other words, that that's the end of them? God forbid. Again, that's a foolish question, because God would have to withdraw his promise. And if God, as a person who withdraws his promise, 
If that's the character of God, then the value of the promise of God upon which election by grace through faith stands is valueless. So we know that God is not one who can or will withdraw his promise. There are certain things God can't do. God can't deny himself. Therefore, he cannot lie. Therefore, he abides faithful. He can't become unfaithful. That's how secure we are. The character of God is behind the gift of God, which is our salvation. Have they stumbled rather they should fall? God forbid. That's a stupid thought. But rather, through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Romans 11.11. Those of you who are have taken yourself into the Hebrew Roots movement or whatever you, you have done, notice really what has happened here. Israel has fallen so that God can provoke them by the Gentiles to jealousy. That's part of what we do. Now, here I am saying, well, salvation goes to the Gentiles, and that's to provoke Israel to jealousy, and yet I say I am no longer a Gentile. That's right. I'm no longer a Gentile. I'm part of the church of God. A Jew who doesn't believe the Scriptures is going to regard me as a Gentile nonetheless because they don't realize that if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. They don't realize that their Jewish relatives and friends and acquaintances and associates who've received Jesus Christ are no longer Jews. That's the big problem. That's why the big rejection, that's why the big trouble that a Jew has when he receives Christ runs into. He's going to be rejected. The crucifixion of himself to the world is amplified to his very eyes by the way he's regarded thereafter having named Christ as his Savior. I remember in the late 70s when Bob Dylan received Christ as his Savior and began to produce Christian music, and, you know, some pretty good Christian music, let me assure you, Blood on the Tracks and so forth, was pretty good stuff. At least lyrically, you know, he was finding his purpose. Why, there was a huge outrage in the Jewish community in America, and, of course, finally then, at least in, in deed and in testimony, Dylan publicly embarrassed himself by denying the Lord. Now, I believe that he received Christ as Savior. He said so, and I think he's a, my brother in the Lord, but certainly uh, he's in denial of the faith, and as such, a fellow that uh, really, that's pathetic, the situation he's in. He may find himself somewhere in, in the book of Hebrews. Well, we'll leave that off for now. The Lord will judge him rightly and according to his doings, but my point is this, what God is doing, is he's saving out of Israel and out of the Gentiles a people unto his name. And it's a marvelous thing, and it goes on further than the book of Romans will tell us. And that's why we're going to go on further and study more in the book of Romans. But here again, Romans 11.11 hearkens back to Deuteronomy 32 to provoke them to jealousy. Now, here he reasons with us a little bit more, and we're going to find out the great blessing that this all works to, but we're going to find that out in just a minute. Stick with us, and will you listen to this announcement? Well, we're trying to get to the apex of this mystery of Israel's partial temporary blindness. We now have a wonderful argument coming up here in the 12th verse. 
of what it is in God's plan. Why would God do this? Why would God set aside Israel, as it were, and consign all but the remnant to a period of partial, temporary blindness, and how we should look at that? Because, really, we could start becoming a bit arrogant about that. We could start becoming a bit arrogant about that, those of us to whom the Word of God came. And indeed, indeed, the Gentiles have, at this late stage of Israel's temporary partial blindness, have become extremely arrogant about God bringing His Word out to us, because we now have the truth. Uh, They used to have the truth. They didn't bring it to us. God gave us the truth to provoke them to jealousy. We haven't done that good a job of bringing it to them, and we've become arrogant. Well, we're warned about that, and that's the next piece here. And let me tell you that these warnings are not to individuals in Christ. This is a dispensational warning to those who have been dispensationally blessed by the word of God coming out to us. Now, what do I mean by dispensationally blessed? Well, Israel was dispensationally blessed during the giving of the law. As a nation, the word of God came only to them. Nevertheless, salvation was still an individual matter, and David believed God, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness, and he was saved. And we see others, Eli's sons, and others who didn't know the Lord, though they were dispensationally blessed. That is to say, though they were in an economy arranged by God, whereby they received the great blessing of the truth of the Word of God. Now, this is what has happened Romans 11, 11, to the Gentile nations. And you say, well, who are the Gentile nations? Everybody but Israel. All right, everybody but Israel has been dispensationally blessed because of Israel's temporary, partial blindness. So they have stumbled, but have they stumbled that they should fall? Have they stumbled so that they would not get back up? In other words, didn't it not stumble that they should fall? God forbid, their stumbling, their failure, is not about God obliterating them. Here is what their stumbling and their failure and their falling is about. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. Now we have the word fullness, the pleroma of Israel. We have many of these fullnesses. The Lord Jesus Christ is the pleroma, or fullness of the Godhead, dwelled in him. The fullness of the Godhead dwelled in our Lord Jesus Christ bodily. The church which is his body is the fullness of Christ himself. That is, this is the word pleroma. We'll see a lot more of that in the book of Ephesians. But here now we have a couple of fullnesses. We have the pleroma of the Gentiles. That is the complete number of the Gentiles. That's where we're headed in verse 25. And here we have the pleroma or the completeness of Israel referenced. And maybe you say, well, where is that? Where is the fullness of Israel? Well, that's what this section is about. He's saying, listen, we have already historically seen the fall of them. And what has that been? That is the riches of the world and they're diminishing the riches of the Gentiles, if because of their fall 
good things have happened to Gentile nations. Think of what's going to happen with their fullness. In other words, if even the fall of Israel brought blessing, imagine what the taking back up of them or their fullness will be to the world. And we'll look at what that will be. Now he says, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. That's something to remember. He says, Inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. The apostle Paul here now pointing out to us his unique work. Even though he went to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, the apostle Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. That is his work. God entrusted the Apostle Paul with the apostleship of the Gentiles. He did not entrust it to others. The twelve, including Matthias, had a ministry to Israel. The Apostle Paul had a ministry to the Gentiles, specifically. That is his office. Now, this word office... This is a clergyman's term, and by the way, clergymen translated the English Bible. Some pretty good ones, let me say, some pretty skilled ones. Clergymen nonetheless. And so we have this word office here. Well, it's not an office. It really says, I magnify my service or my ministry. It's his ministry. So if you realize that he's not talking about his position as much as he is the work that God gave him to do. And we ought to talk about our work. We ought to talk about our work that God has given us and not the position that we think we hold. We have one Father, our Father in heaven, and we're all brethren. Even the sisters are brethren, as I like to say. But now our work is important. The work that God gives us to do is important. If God has given you work to do, it's important to me. If God has given me work to do, it should be important to you. How can I preach except I be sent? God has given me the sending, and I need those who will stand with me in the call of God and in the sending of God to get my work done. And so do you, to get your work done in the Lord. You need those who will stand with you for the work that you have to do. Now he says, I speak to you Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them that are of my flesh, and might save some of them. He says, you Gentiles are provoking Israel to jealousy, but I'm trying to provoke to emulation because he is one of the remnant. The Apostle Paul is one of the remnant according to grace. He is a remnant according to the election of grace. He's one of them. And he's trying to provoke his countrymen to emulate him, which is to say he was in enmity against the Lord Jesus Christ, and now he not only has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, but he has committed his energies and efforts to bringing others also to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he goes on in his argumentation, uh, very similar to verse 12. If the casting away of them, that is of Israel, be the reconciling of the world. In other words, when God cast away Israel temporarily, partially, and therefore is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, bringing this marvelous message that whosoever believes in him will be saved. If that's what he's doing through the casting away of them, what shall the receiving them or the taking back of them, the taking them back up, what will that be except life from the dead or the resurrection out from the dead? And here's what we know now. 
if we put these things together, if we think carefully, we know that the resurrection out from the dead, that is the first resurrection, is tied up with God taking back the nation of Israel unto himself. And the first resurrection will include all Israel who is saved. It will include all those who are in Christ. And it will include some Gentiles also. This will be the first resurrection. Or, it's not said here, the first resurrection. Here it's claimed to be the resurrection out from the dead. It is tied up. The resurrection of the out from the dead, which is the first resurrection, is tied up dispensationally with God taking Israel back. And, of course, we learn from Zechariah and elsewhere that the Lord Jesus Christ will come back personally to earth, the church which is his body will come back with him, will have met him in the air, will have already been resurrected or translated alive into our new bodies, and yet there will be others who are also part of that first resurrection, which apparently extends over a short period of time, historically speaking, and life from the dead will occur when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. They'll look upon him whom they have pierced, and all Israel will be saved. I don't find all of that here in Romans 11, but I find here Romans 11:15 corresponding and coincident with all those blessed truth. For if the first fruit, verse 16, be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. And here we now have some beginning discussion about the roots. And let me tell you, the root, the root is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the root. If the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. Now here it is, the Lord Jesus Christ is the first fruits out from the dead. And so the rest of us who comprise the lump out from the dead, we're just the lump. We're also holy because he's holy. And we contain no holiness that is of ourselves. We have no holiness that is of ourselves, and though we have been, and what is holiness? That is separation by God for his own purpose. We have no holiness, and we don't have the ability to make holy or to sanctify, but our Lord Jesus Christ does. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Now here's the root, that's our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Now, he has some different kinds of branches. This now here is the analogy of a tree. And, of course, we realize that a tree really doesn't spring up out of the ground. It springs up from its roots. The appearance of the tree is dependent upon the character and the working of the roots, what we don't see. And now he makes this analogy, and he says, if some of the branches, some of the branches be broken off, not all, there is a remnant according to grace but if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them there's never been a time where the church which is his body wasn't partially former jewish as well as maybe substantially we might say former gentile but there's never been a time where the gentiles weren't grafted in among them. Now, this is a dispensational truth. This is not about your local church. This isn't even about the church. 
This is about what God is doing dispensationally across the period of time wherein the church, which is his body, is revealed. It isn't even revealed here. That's for later teaching. He will bring that out later in the book of Romans in a few words, and then in Ephesians he'll say, I just mentioned a few words about what I'm going to write all this about. So here he says, if some of the branches be broken off, emphasis some, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, that is to say, with them we partake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't the ultimate truth. It's not the end of the progressive doctrine of the New Testament. This is actually a truth pointing out that there is both Jew and Gentile being saved, but that, that, that there's no distinction between them is a higher truth in the sense that it's a more developed truth, and we find it elsewhere. So here it says, Therefore, verse 18, boast not against the branches, but if thy boast, then thou bearest not the root, but the root you. So here, of course, again, boasting is excluded because the branch doesn't boast against its root. The root bears him. And the root of the faith is our Lord Jesus Christ. The root of the faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will remind you, the Lord Jesus Christ is no Christian. The Lord Jesus Christ, it's not that he was a Jew. He is a Jew. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. Thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear, because if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. And that's a fact, my friends. The, the gospel, uh, freely out to the Gentiles, apart from the nation of Israel, is not something that's going to last. In fact, the Gentile nations are already rejecting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ repeatedly, ignorantly, horribly. It goes on. Well, we'll take more of this up next time.